Well, good morning. Welcome to our time together. And um, yeah, this is not what I was expecting today to be standing up here, but also happy to be able to fill in. I told Jess I'd rather be doing this any day than being sick in the middle of a hot summer day. And so my heart goes out to Nate and um, yeah, just praying for a speedy recovery for him. Um, so we are going to do something a little bit different from what we have been doing where um, we've been working through the Sermon on the Mount and I just, I thought, let's just take a little break from that and go and look at a lesson we can learn from two Bible stories, um, one in the Old Testament and then a very short one in the New Testament. And today's message is entitled, Serving. How not to, how to, and how it can be misdirected. We're going to start out by looking at the story of Nabal, Abigail, and David in um, 1 Samuel 25. We're going to go through that story and um, pull out the first how two how-tos out of that story. Say that ten times fast. Um, I challenge you. And then we're going to go into the New Testament and look at the story of Martha and Mary and pull out the idea of how good service can be misdirected. And, um, and then we're going to wrap that all up with um, some practical applications. So... Um, so that's where we're going, where we're, or what we're going to cover, and we'll jump right into it. Um, so what we're going to do for this story, it's a fairly long story um, as far as just in the um, passage or in the scriptures. So I'm going to be alternating, trying to um, alternate between telling the story as well as reading some of these passages. So... Just a little bit of context here. In the last couple passages, chapter 24, we have um, the conflict between Saul and David. And, um, you know, at the end of 24, there's reconciliation between Saul and David. But there's also still a lot of tension going on. Um, at the end of 24, it says, so David swore to Saul and went Saul and Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. So, what I'm pulling from this is that yes, they made up, but David is still very on edge. He didn't really want to go back and hang out with Saul too much because he was worried what was going to happen. So, he went out and went away with a group of what we find out was about 600 men. And for the sake of telling this story, we're going to think of these men as a group of army rangers. They're the group of the choice fighting men around David, his closest companions. They're an elite force. Um, you know, we're going to use some artistic liberty here. That may or may not be the case. Um, but then we're moving into chapter 25. In chapter 25, um, verse 1, it introduces some conflict, some political turmoil. It says, then Samuel died, and Israel and the Israelites gathered together and lamented for him and buried him at his home in Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. 
So we have this conflict between Saul and David, and then we throw another wrench into this whole thing, and that's more political conflict, and you know Samuel's dying. And I don't know, but I would assume that there was a lot of, of stability and respect that Samuel brought to Israel. He was kind of this grounding factor. And I think David, in the back of his mind, is wondering what's going to happen now. Is Saul going to come after him? Well, so in this, this is the setting for the story of, that we're going to go into. And so Saul finds him, or Saul, I apologize, I'm going to do this, um, just bear with me. Um, David finds himself up in the hills in land that is occupied by a rich man named Nabal. And just to get an idea of how rich, the Bible gives us a couple little pieces of information about him. He owned 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. Um, And I'm even thinking in today's standards, that's a rich man. Um, A farmer who has 4,000 head of animals is a big farmer. He's a wealthy farmer, and he's somebody who is known in the community. Um, Back home, I can tell you the 1,000 cow dairy farmers. I know who they are. And I also know, know some big dairy farmers that fit Nabal's description pretty well. Um, it, it must be something about having that many animals that does that to you. I also know some really great dairy farmers. But, um, so, and a little more perspective. They're in the middle of shearing season. And shearing season is, I'm not a sheep farmer, but I'm going to kind of, turn it over and we're going to follow this analogy through something we might be a little bit more familiar with, and that's haymaking. Um, Haymaking, when the hay's ready to harvest, if you are a farmer in this area, you've got to get it harvest. You have a short window, and then you also have the reality of rain coming, spoiling the hay, and so it's all hands on deck, you're making hay. And Growing up, this was something that we, we did, we participated in. And you worked long days, and oftentimes, say your neighbor would get done ahead of you. Well, you would go and help your neighbor. It was, it was a communal thing. And that's the setting that we're going into. And David's men with this band of soldiers are up there. Well, they're, and I'm, they're, the sheep are up in the fields. And we're just going to read um, verses 2 through 5. Now, there was a man in Moa whose business was in Carmel, and the man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was shearing the sheep in Carmel. And the, the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife was Abigail. And she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance, But the man was harsh and evil in his doings. He was of the house of Caleb. When David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep, David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, go to Nabal, and greet him by name. And thus you shall say to him, Who lives in prosperity, Peace be to you, peace to your house, and peace to all that you have. 
I'm going to stop here. So if we go further in, we get a little bit more insight on what was going on. And so not to get ahead of ourselves, but if we read um, when Abigail is talking to one of the servants, she, the servant tells them that there's a little bit more to the backstory here. So while David's men were in the area that the shearing was taking place, and they were helping Nabal's men shear. They were, you know, all these army rangers, they were protecting, I'm assuming, from animals, maybe from marauding bands. They were participating in this and enabling this time-sensitive seasonal activity to take place. And this was culturally something that was expected. You would all pitch in and help. So at first, it just seems like David wants a free lunch, but that's actually not the case. He's they just got done haymaking. And when I was, can, let's just put, put ourselves in this spot. If you had spent all day working for helping your neighbor's farm out and unloaded hay all day, what do you, and it's, it gets dark out, the farm I worked on, the farmer would order pizza for everybody who had helped and we'd have pizza and soda or maybe subs and We'd have a big spread, and we would feed everybody. That's pretty expected. Well, this was kind of the same thing, except it was a celebration after the whole process had taken place, and it was a much bigger celebration. But it was the same idea. All these people had helped you, and now the least you could do was feed them. So David is reaching out and just asking for you know, hey, can we join you? We helped. Can we participate in the festivities? And in many ways, this is more of a courtesy, like, hey, we're going to have 600 extra guests. We wanted you to be aware of that. Then even, you know, a question of, you know, is this, are you going to feed us? And as we go down here, Nabal's response, so David sent men to ask about this, and David's, or Nabal's response just goes to show the type of person he was. And then, then Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David, and who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays who break away each other from his master. And I just want to stop here and point out, he's somewhat slighting David here um, at this point. We know David already has been called by God, and there's, it's probably well known, the conflict between Saul and David. And so he's kind of undermining the legitimacy of who David is and mocking him. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men when I do not know where they are from? So David's young men turned back on their heels and went back and came and told him all these words. So let's also just continue to put this in perspective. We have Nabal who has, you know, is somewhat owes David's men this, you know, this gratitude, and he mocks him and sends his men back. 
Well, I don't know how many of you know any Army Rangers, but if I had 16, or 600 Army Rangers outside my door, I probably would not, when they came and asked for food, mock them and diminish who they are and then send, their, send them back to their leader. That seems foolish to me. So again, we're seeing Nabal, a harsh, unkind person who isn't very smart. He at least has low, um, what do we call it now, EQ or um, emotional something or another. But yeah, he's definitely not tuned in to what's going on. He's arrogant and... Um, we're just setting this stage up for not a good situation. And we go down here, and David is really upset. And in verse 13, we see David's re reply. And really, the only reply that we could expect then David said to his men, every man gird on his sword. So every man girded on his sword. And David also girded on his sword. He was upset. He wasn't even just going to send his men out. He was going to go himself. And he said, 200 of you stay back with the animals. And we're going to take 400 men. And we're going to avenge this disrespect. Now, we kind of pause here. David's men are headed in and on a mission, David and his men. And we backtrack in the story, and we're introduced again to Abigail. We know from earlier, Abigail is someone of wisdom and beautiful appearance, but that's all we know about her until now. And in verse 14, now one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Look, David, send messengers from the wilderness to greet our masters. And he reveled, reviled them. But the men were very, very good to us. And we were not hurt, nor did we miss anything as long as we as long as they accompanied as long as we accompanied them and when we were in the fields. And it goes on, I'm, for the sake of time, I'm not going to read the rest of it, but basically the men said, you know, here were these guys, they could have stolen animals, we couldn't have done anything about it, um, they could, you know, but instead, they helped us, they protected us, and were good to us, and we owe them. And Abigail hears this and says, well, first off, she, realize, she realizes that, you know, they're this is a bad situation. We have a group of angry men who have been disrespected and, you know, refused food, coming to attack her partying husband, who is with all his friends eating and drinking. And she's like, I have to do something. I have to make right this wrong first. But I also, if I don't do something, you know, we're, are, there's going to be lots of bloodshed. And so she put together all the food that she could think of that was owed to them. So we're told in verse 14 through 18, she, five sheep, two skins of wine, 200 loaves of bread, 100 clusters of raisins, and 200 fig cakes. So to me, I don't know all the details here, but this seems like enough food 
to feed 600 men for a couple days with food left over. Um, you know, um, she has beverages supplied, she has dessert, and she has meat. What more could you want? Um, these weren't, they weren't into carb bloating. They wanted, they were meat and, meat and dessert kind of guys. So she puts this all together and she goes to him. And again, we see wisdom here. She, um, she comes to him, she sends this ahead of her, falls on his fa her face, and takes responsibility for the action of her husband. In verse 23, she says, Now Abigail saw David. She dismounted quickly from the donkey, fell on her face before David, and bowed down to the ground. So she fell at his feet and said, O me, my Lord, let on me, let this iniquity be, and please let your maidservant speak in your ears and hear the words of your maidservant. Please let not, my Lord, regard this scoundrel Nabal, for his name is so. So is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has held out, held you back from coming to bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hand. Now then, let your enemies and those enemies who seek harm for my Lord be as Nabal. I'm going to stop there. It goes on. It's a long passage, but um, she goes on. David is appeased and actually thanks her. He says, thank you for sparing me the guilt of this bloodshed. Um, he acknowledges that he was going to do something rash that he regrets. And then that kind of is the pause in the story. Abigail returns to Nabal, and Nabal is still drinking and partying with his friends, celebrating the end of the harvest. And she is wise and doesn't say anything to him. And then when he sobers up, a couple days later, sometime later, she tells him what she did. And I was struck with this. She was wise in when she told, but she also was honest. And she had no idea what was going to happen. But the description of the man that Nabal was, I can't think that she thought the outcome was going to be good. Um, he seems like a violent person who was not kind. And the Lord protects her. We, we read in the end of the passage, or in the last verses, that the Lord turns his heart to stone. And so it sounds to me like the Lord struck him. He was so upset and enraged that the Lord gave him a heart attack, gave him a stroke. And then the Lord makes him suffer for 10 days to kind of think about what he did, and then strikes him dead. So Abigail was protected. And then, well, if we stop here, we can have this ending to it. But David hears about this, goes over, takes Abigail as his wife, and they live happily ever after. Well, we know this. Lots of bumps along the way. But she is taken care of. So in a nutshell, that is the story of Nabal, Abigail, and David. So, from this story, well, 
We're going to look, draw the first two points from this story, and that is how not to serve. Or, and that's really simple. You should not refuse to serve. God has very little tolerance for those who won't serve. Um, in many ways, the Christian life is built on service. Ultimately, the ultimate example of that is Jesus Christ. He served and gave his life for us. But God has no time for not those who are not willing to serve. And we see with Nabal, God had no time for that and struck him dead. Um, not, not much more I'm going to say about that, but I do want to spend a little bit more time looking at Abigail and the way that she served. And I've highlighted three things that struck me in as I think about service in my life, how I should model that. And the first is service should be with wisdom. Know what is going on, be intentional, and um, make decisions on service. We see that Abigail was tuned in to her surroundings and what was happening. The servants in the house were talking to her. She was asking questions and then realized, hey, a wrong happened, and also realized that there was impending doom. They were about to be obliterated. And so she had information and was making decisions um, with, with that wisdom. And then secondly, service should be with purpose and intentional. Um, and kind of following up with that wisdom, she heard what was going on, but then she had a plan. She was going to put together the meal that she owed or that was owed to these men, take it in front of her. We notice that she didn't just show up to, you know, David and start pleading. No, she sent the food in front of her. Um, she had a plan and was intentional. So she used that wisdom um, with purpose for a re end result of that there was not going to be bloodshed. And then finally, service should be with humility. And I truly think this is where so often service falls short. We have wisdom, we have intention and purpose, but we lack humility. And we see Abigail falling on her face in verse um, 23. And then Ab now, when Abigail saw David, she dismounted quickly. There was no hesitation. She fell on her face and bowed down to the ground. And then, you know, in this whole process, she took on the slight that was not even hers, but had the humility to realize that she had to take that on and um, was able to, to, um, yeah, to, you know, receive the, um, to put herself in a place to receive that forgiveness. And I think about this in our own, in our own lives, how we tend to create what I'm going to call our own little service fiefdoms. And that can be, you know, 
volunteering to mow the grass at the church. And then, well, nobody better drive on my grass because I've mowed it. Or, and Nate, I'm not picking on you. I've never had you say that. But I, I've seen people who, who've done that in church and different areas. The kitchen at church. Well, I'm scared to walk into the kitchen because the food committee, they'll yell at me. We've cre- we have these little fiefdoms, um, and it lacks humility. And that is not service that God can use. We've done everything right up to that point, and then if we lack humility, the whole thing falls apart. And we can make that practical in many areas of our lives, but that's, um, that's a real danger that we can fall into if we lack humility. Well, I'm rapidly running out of time, so I'll try to speed up here. Um, the last passage we're going to look at is Luke chapter 10, and we're going to read verses 38 through 42. And this is a story we're all very familiar with. I think we often focus on things like be a Mary, don't be a Martha. Um, You know, we hear those cliches a lot. But what I want to actually focus on is simply Martha and Martha's two response things that Martha does in this. And um, yeah, and we'll go from there. Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village And a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled. Other versions say anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen what that good part, which will not be taken away from her. So, as I read this, here's a beautiful story of a lady who Jesus comes into a village, and Martha welcomes him into her home. And I think we so often don't give Martha the credit she is due because Jesus wouldn't have been in her home for her sister to sit and learn from if Martha had not welcomed him into her, her home. And, but Martha gets off the rails a little bit, as so many times we, we do, and that's, she starts with welcoming, and then focuses, rather, turns and turns inward onto Martha and the production of what is happening. And I think this is a true, something that can happen so quickly, is that we start focusing on the act of serving as the goal of service, rather than the person who we are serving. and ultimately, that turns inward to how our performance looks. And we're no longer focused on others, but focused on ourselves. And I think it's a little, a sad little twist that can so easily happen. And Jesus calls this out. And he says, 
Martha, you've got me here. You've welcomed me into your home. And it's not him chewing her out. He's calling him back, her back to himself. And he said, I'm seeing you worried and troubled. Come, sit down and relax. What I really want is spending time with you. And so he's inviting her to come back to the real focus, which is a life of service. And in this case, all Jesus wants is her, time, her to be there and learn from him. And I don't know how Martha responded to this, but I'm probably going to assume that based on what we know about her so far, she sat down and replied or answered by learning from Jesus and developing that. Um, we don't know, but that's how I'm going to think about it today. And I would invite each of us to, when we start to see anxiety and troubled spirit and a troubled spirit around our service, ask ourselves, why am I anxious? It's more than likely because we're worried about our performance rather than the person who we are serving. And I think anxiety and worry around service is one of our the easiest things to look for when we start to have service become misdirected. So I would challenge you with that. In closing, I want us to just review. Service is not optional. We cannot be like Nabal. God has no time for that. We are required to live a life of service as Christians. And then... Just a reminder on Martha, when acts of service become the goal, the service becomes about our performance and about us. Be aware, if service causes worry, we may be focusing on ourselves rather than others. And then finally, just to end with the reminder about Abigail, true service has wisdom has purpose, and is done with humility. I want to encourage us to examine our lives. First off, asking that question, are we living a life of service? Secondly, be aware that service can become misdirected if we're not careful. And then finally, um, just to continue to serve each other. And ultimately, service in the Christian is modeled after Jesus' example to us. And we are called to live that life of service as followers of him. Thank you for your time today. Um, I would invite you to stand for a closing benediction, and then you'll consider yourselves dismissed. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the ultimate example of service that you gave us on your time at on earth. And ultimately, we thank you for giving us your son that died and allowed us to have salvation. Lord, I just pray that we would never lose sight of the great gift that you have given us. Bless all of those who are traveling this next week, Lord. Grant them safety and bless each and every one 
for the remainder of this week. In your name, amen.